Welcome to our Human Experience Podcast. I'm Professor Catherine Colborn, the Head of the School of Humanities and Social Science at the University of Newcastle in Australia. Our school is dedicated to assisting our students to become critical thinkers, enabling them to appreciate and understand the world around them. Our researchers examine all facets of what it means to be human. We form partnerships with like-minded groups and researchers. This podcast series features thought-provoking conversations with our humanities and social science academics who are helping to improve the human experience through their research. In 2020, we will be talking with researchers about language and culture, youth identity and the economy, the experiences of older gender minorities, public health policy and the history of domestic service and much more. Thanks for joining us. Hi, I'm Belinda Galbraith and today we are talking to Associate Professor Kiweko Ito who studies the effect of prosody or the rhythm and melody in speech and how people respond to it. Research on prosody is an important focus in many disciplines including linguistics, speech pathology, education, psychology and computer science. Kiwa's empirical research into how people respond to the emphasis in speech is focused on children with developmental disorders, ageing adults and hearing impaired individuals. Thanks very much for joining us today, Kiwa. Thank you for having me. So we know that human connection is formed through communication and the human brain can pick up these nuanced signals through changes in speech patterns and prosody. Can you tell me exactly what is prosody and why is it so important? Sure. Um, prosody is this rhythm and melody that you hear in speech, and it's language-specific. So when you talk to me, you can probably pick my Japanese-slash-American accent, because I spent the last two decades in the States. Um, and uh, if you go to Sydney and then walk around the center city area, you, you can hear all these accents. And it's not just the pronunciation of each word, but it comes with this um, rhythmic patterns and melody that people put on their speech. So you can go up or down to convey the intention of asking a question or making a statement, and we can group words together, pause differently, and then that all show where, you come, where you're coming from, what your language background is, etc. So it's the part of language that, that, you know, obviously we've got words which give meaning, but the way we say the language obviously gives meaning as well. And that's what you like look at. Right. Um, yeah, prosody can convey so many things. So as I said, um, you can go up to ask a question and um, Australians are known to go up a lot. And I listen to the radio station and hear this not just from females, which is the uh, characteristics of American uh, English speakers, for example. But male speakers here also go up a lot towards the end of the sentence without the intention of asking question. That's very, very interesting, and I, I do hear that as well. It's something that Australians are known for, I think, going up at the end of questions. And my uh, nine-year-old um, who just moved here is picking up the Australian accent and when he tries to imitate his mates, mm -hmm. he goes um, he goes up. It's really interesting how kids are picking up on these patterns as well. Yeah. Is it something that we're born with, the ability to detect prosody, or is it something that we kind of pick up along the way? 
So it's very interesting. Um, prosody is the one of the first language structures that uh, we pick up as a pattern before we are born. So in the second trimesters, baby's auditory system starts developing, and they start hearing this mother's uh, speaking um, daily with this melody and rhythm. So through the water, of course, the speech sounds are not as crisp as you, we hear in the studio, right? So the consonants and, and vowels are not, not uh, separated mm -hmm. clearly in the water. But um, they start hearing this melody, whoa, 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 right? And then the grouping of words together. Mm -hmm. And the rhythmic pattern is something that they are already sensitive to when they're born. Mm -hmm. So if you test the um, newborn babies, right? Mm -hmm. Suppose that they are um, <clears throat> born to an um, Italian family, right? So the baby is listening to mother's Italian speech in the womb. And when the baby is born, the rhythmic pattern of Italian is kind of similar to uh, another Romance language like Spanish. Mm -hmm. So they can tell apart. They, they respond to the change in speech sound from Spanish to, say, Dutch, mm -hmm. uh, another language coming from... Germanic group. And so this change in rhythm, rhythmic structure is something that they can respond to, although both Spanish and Dutch are not their native language. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that was a study that you've, you've seen been done before on, yeah. on these Italian babies right. that were exposed and so, to that. But it's not like we are stuck with it. Mm -hmm. What we're born with is this ability to pick up the patterns in speech sounds. Mm -hmm. And so um, whatever the language that you are surrounded by, you can start picking up the patterns and babies can be very sensitive to that patterns. And so depending on where you go, um, maybe I start going up in three years. <laughs> <laughs> have to check back in with you. Yeah. <laughs> now, I believe you've done some research with autistic children looking at how they respond to speech cues. And I believe the results of that research um, somewhat disproves the stereotype that autistic children generally are not sensitive to prosody or joint attention cues. I'd really love to hear more about that research that you've done, if you could tell us about it. Right. So previously, I had tested typically developing children and adults to see how they quickly uh, respond to emphasis in speech. And they can, so we use eye tracking tec technique to see how uh, promptly people respond to speech input. And so if I uh, say, look at the bottle, or look at the picture, you can move your eyes and look at those objects on the table. And that can happen within one-third of a second in typically developing kids and adults. And <clears throat> children with developmental disorders are known to be slower in responding to speech input. And oftentimes, they, um, because they do not show this um, readily observable behavioral traits where they um, do not meet your eyes or they do not seem to follow your body language, Right. For example, autistic children um, used to be believed that they cannot respond to the social cues, including speech. But our recent study using the um, video stimuli in the eye tracking experiment, we showed that kids are not only 
responsive to emphasis in speech, but also they can follow the eye gaze as well as a head turn and pointing very quickly. Mm-hmm. So that disproved what the, the stereotype, do you think, that, that they don't um, generally tend to do that? Right. So we have to be careful. Um, oftentimes we, we, we say what we see is what we believe, but um, although they might not follow your gaze immediately, they are hearing you. They might be responding to you. It's just they are a little bit slower or they need more cues to integrate the information to decide what they want to do with that information. Mm, okay. And how, can you tell me a bit more about how you run that study? You said that you had um, a video stimuli and and trying to get the children to look at something. Can you explain how that worked? Right. So previously, um, eye tracking studies with autistic children use the videos where the actor come out and then talk to them and they just have to um, passively sit in front of the monitor and view um, the scene. And uh, they didn't have to really interact with the actor. What we did a little different in our experiment is to make the actor talk to them, although they're not really talking to one another, but the actor was more interactive and asking children, um, asking the child's participants help in finding an object behind the actor. And so in that way, we um, kind of tried to engage them in an interactive conversation and ask them to look at the object and and let the actor know where that is. And with this prompt, we found that with the emphasis in speech, so look at the bottle Mm -hmm. instead of look at the bottle, Mm -hmm. Um, they would look more busily around, although their responses are not as uh, straightforward Mm -hmm. as in typically developing children. Mm -hmm. uh, They take longer to detect the object in the scene, but they do look more um, actively around when they hear the um, emphasis Mm -hmm. in speech. So when the actor emphasised the words or the, the cue to look at something, it was more attention-grabbing than if they didn't emphasise yeah, it. Yeah, that's a very important point because later in the same um, conversation clip, after drawing their attention to the bottle, um, then, where's that again? And then they may say there or, you know, just point to the particular area of the... Um, seen and although the the picture itself or bottle itself is not moving if that object had been mentioned with the emphasis kids are faster in relocating that object that is not moving in the scene because uh, previously it was believed that um, autistic kids would pay attention to only things that are moving Mm -hmm. that's the way to catch their attention but that was not the the case Mm -hmm. So that emphasis in speech is really a key thing that you've drawn that out. That flagged there. that it was something important in the conversation. Mm, mm, that's fascinating. Now, I believe you also run the lab for applied language sciences here at the University of Newcastle. I'm really interested to know what kind of work you do in that lab. Yes, so we are about to start again um, running an eye tracking experiment there uh, with this new, new tracker. Um, we're trying to see how children and adults uh, speaking English as their native language 
process the grammatical information. And so um, we're showing some pictures and ask them to listen to a sentence and click on the picture that better matches the sentence. And uh, we're also comparing the um, children who are learning English as their native language with adult learners of English. Um, so this is international collaboration and then the international um, data from uh, learners of English will be collected in Tokyo, Waseda University and my collaborators. Yes, so we are hopefully <laughs> will be able to start collecting data soon and now we had a little bit of uh, slowing down because of the um, COVID-19 circumstances, but hopefully we'll start collecting data on campus. And um, this is something that the students here can uh, contribute to as to science to, to provide the baseline data. So in your lab, you obviously do a lot of this research work. Is that a really great opportunity for undergrads to come and learn how to use eye trackers and these specialised pieces of equipment? Right. So I recruited a student assistant from my previous uh, introductory linguistics course. And uh, I have trained her and she's been a great assistant. And she learned how to record and edit the sound stimuli using the sound editing uh, software. And we have been training her to run the eye, track, eye tracker for this experiment. And so um, this is the kind of thing that they cannot really learn in the classroom. And uh, I have uh, always great fun teaching them how to do all these things in the lab. And then they also learn how to interact with uh, a human subjects and um, how to interact with children if we collect data from children as well. So it's a great hands-on experience that they're getting and probably some really good work, integrated learning there happening. Excellent. Um, so just jumping back to the other research project you said you're just beginning to start with, with um, gathering data in Tokyo and then comparing it to native speakers here in Australia as well. I believe that you're doing a bit of collaboration across disciplines there involving some speech pathology uh, edu and education people from the university. Tell me about the, the collaboration that's happening there. Right. So in this uh, experiment that we are about to start, we are trying to find out how individual differences in the ability to listen to particular sounds, in this case, the word ending s sound. Um, so if you say bottles, right, you, you have to hear this z at the end to know that it's more than one bottle. So um, these perceptual ability as well as the working memory capacity can affect how we process language and we're trying to see how the individual differences in the sensitivity to this uh, word ending S as well as the difference in the how much you can hold on to in a speech um, uh, will affect this so-called subject-verb agreement issues. And um, as we investigate this, we should be able to see uh, if children, so we're starting to collect data uh, from children aged between eight and 10, and these school-aged children some of them may have trouble holding on to the information of the subject of a sentence and uh, process that grammatically. And we're trying to see how uh, the perceptual ability as well as memory uh, relate to their ability to 
compute grammar. And if uh, this relationship between this cognitive uh, ability and uh, grammatical processing ability is different between child learners of English as their native language and second language learners of English. And why is it important to study this uh, way that we hear grammar and process grammar? Is it something to do with literacy levels and, and uh, children's development? Sure. So if we find the clearer relationship between these cognitive abilities and, and grammatical processing, then we might be able to find a way to train them such that their sensitivity to the grammatical cues can be enhanced. And that way we can develop the future educational applications or pedagogy to help them learn language. And this is also important for us because we... Uh, the, the sensitivity to S, for example, is the issue for the people with hearing disability. So it, this word ending S is known to be difficult to process. So if we can find a way to assist them, hear this cue, and then process it better, and then that would help them um, learn the grammar or communicate better. And also, if we can find a way to... to help individuals with memory constraints, um, then we can uh, extend our research to assist clinical populations with developmental disorders. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like there's quite a few different clinical applications for this research. It sounds really um, practical. And I assume that all this fantastic research informs the teaching that you do here at the university as well. Can you tell me a bit about what you're teaching at the moment? Yes, so in this semester I've been teaching this course called Language and Mind slash uh, Language and Cognition. And this is the uh, introductory course for psycholinguistics. So we talk a lot about how we process the uh, linguistic information, starting from how we process sound, how we process words, how we process phrases and sentences, and how we... Uh, process information in conversation discourse. And so at all these different levels, how do we as researchers investigate people's ability to process information? And we also learned um, the techniques uh, that people have used in the field. And uh, so this is, the, this is a good course for those who may want to get involved in the research. Yeah, so in, in this course, I talk a lot about eye tracking technique as well. And we also talk about the relationship between language and brain mm -hmm. and all these uh, developmental disorders and why it's important for us to, to uh, focus on the language processing uh, as a, a way to understand the disorders uh, themselves and also cognitive science from the from understanding the, the, the disorders and then how the mechanism of processing language information. Mm, excellent. Yeah. It sounds like your research has some really amazing practical applications that help us understand how people hear speech. So thanks for joining us today and thanks for sharing with us. My pleasure. Thank you very much.